0: Welcome to the A World of Difference podcast. I'm your hostess, Lori Adams Brown, and this is episode 16. I want to tell you about Anchor because it's what I use to record these podcasts. Why do I use it? Number one, it's free, number two, it's simple. I don't have a lot of tech skills, but I don't need to because Anchor does a lot of the work for you. And as you know, many of you who know, I'm a career woman. I do this as a hobby on the side in my free time, and I love my kids and my family, and I don't want it to take more time than it needs to. (laughs) So thank you, Anchor, for that. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And so they also distribute it for you anywhere you hear podcasts like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the different ones. You can make money from it if you choose to with no minimum listenership, and it's got everything you need to make the podcast in one place. So I would encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. My guest today is my friend from time in Singapore that we spent together, Sandra Bush. She's an incredible woman. She's so friendly. Um, she's so many things and one of the many things that she is is just super smart and very well educated and just has an, had an amazing career and on three different continents where she's lived she's lived in Latin America she grew up in Colombia she also lived in Singapore clearly because that's where I met her and she's lived in the U.S. Um, both for when she was getting her degrees and to mention her degrees she has many degrees she um She has a bachelor's in communications. She has two master's degrees. She has an MBA, and then she also has a master's and a PhD in information systems. She has worked at IBM. She's worked um, at Duke NUS in Singapore and uh, just in education with um, technologies, education technologies manager. She um, has had just a really long, beautiful career in many different areas of communications, marketing, public relations software product management, sales enablement, and education technologies. She uh, is fluent in Spanish and English, obviously, because she grew up in Colombia. And she is just an incredible mom. She has an amazing family. She has a daughter and a son that are now in college in Arizona, where they've now relocated to after years in Singapore. And I'm super excited to talk to her today as we're in this kind of really drawn out election season. I was thinking at this point in our podcast we would be through election season, but I'm thinking it might just be lasting for much longer than we expected. But she's going to talk a little bit about her views on the U.S. election and some of the ways that she's been involved as an expat who's come back to the U.S. now, living back in the U.S. and um, raising her adult kids and also trying to make a difference here after having lived many years in Asia. And coming back. And a lot of you who are listening to the podcast, I know you've had that experience of being an expat overseas and then returning from abroad to live back in your country after many years. And we'll probably relate to many of the aspects of her life that she's gone through recently in her repatriation. So we'll cover a little bit of that as well as kind of what her passions are, what God is using her to do during this time as a Christian who also uh, is compelled by her faith to make a difference in the world in various ways. So Welcome to the show, my friend, Sandra Bosch. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hi, Lori. It's my pleasure. <laughs> well, um, you and I are friends from Singapore days, and now we both mm-hmm. find ourselves back in the U.S., but for oh, no. just the sake of the listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Um, and maybe even what brought you guys to Singapore and back to Arizona, where you are now?
1: Of course. So I am, was born and raised in Colombia, South America, and then moved to the U.S. And I went to school here and got married here and then started working in technology. And I was working actually for IBM in the early 2000s and my husband was working for Dell and he was offered a position in Singapore and so I said absolutely let's go and so oh, he moved we moved together but he was working for Dell and I was working for IBM at the time and we were meant to be there in Singapore just for two years and we just really liked it we liked the schools that the kids were going to we liked uh, just the country And we decided to stay so after two years we stayed there and instead of being expats we became local localized um and we really loved it and we stayed for 11 years more so just recently we just repatriated back to the u.s and and came to arizona um, but yeah, we were there for 13 years and we loved it. And one of the reasons why we moved back is because the kids were old enough to go to college and they have always wanted to go to college in the U S so it was a good time to, to move back.
0: Yeah. I just, I love your story. Your family has just so much diversity in it. Um, and you and I share the Venezuela Columbia connection since I grew up oh, right do. next door. <laughs> um, but we met at international Baptist church in Singapore. So shout out to all our friends there. If you're listening, Um, And we we both find ourselves back in the United States in a really strange, weird year of 2020. (laughs) So, yeah, one of my first questions for you is I just wanted to ask you kind of how your repatriation process has been, you know, for you, for your husband, for your adult kids. I know that sometimes people find the, you know, coming back you know, after, you know, 13 years in your case to a country that is so different that sometimes there's kind of reverse culture shock or things like that. Have you guys experienced any of that or? There was a little bit
1: of that. Although we, we tried to come at least once a year when we were in Singapore, many times we didn't. So we, we could have, you know, we sometimes we were like gone for for three years without coming back. But um, we had talked and kind of talked a lot about repatriation and and the different feelings that the kids were going to have before we came. And so when we came, they were Prepared for just some anxieties that they were going to experience. They look American, they speak perfect in English, but they're not American. They did not live in the US. Yeah. Um, also, they're a little bit more conservative in their views and in their actions because we lived in Singapore and we were so um, involved with our church um, that we didn't see a lot of things that are so prevalent here. Uh, and so it was quite interesting to to come back, and we had a lot of discussions. We talked a lot about a, a lot of different things, and um, it was very interesting. It took us a little bit to get settled, um, but the kids really did really, really well. Um, because of COVID, uh, obviously, repatriation was a little bit harder. Chris, mm-hmm. my husband, was in Singapore, and he couldn't come back with us when, when we came and it took him 10 months to get here. Wow. And so he was able to finally come back in May. And uh, so we missed him quite a bit. So we had never been separated from one another for that amount of time. And so being without him for 10 months while we were repatriating and getting settled here was quite difficult. Um, and we missed him terribly and he missed us as well. Um, so that was a little bit difficult, but now we're together and we're really happy. Uh, the kids live in their own apartments, close to campus and we live, we're empty nesters, although well, not really because they come home every weekend. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, we have a, a cute little house in Arizona and we're really enjoying enjoying life.
0: That's so awesome. I, I just can't imagine how hard that was for those 10 months of being separated. COVID really did make things so much more additionally challenging when it comes to global travel and to repatriate in that process has to have been so hard. I totally relate to like the conservative nature of Singapore with our kids. I didn't realize how sheltered my kids were until we moved to California. <laughs> and they didn't even know the most basic of things. It's like, you can't just like leave your phone sitting on a table, somebody will take that, right? You can't, it's so safe there. We're so used to such a low crime rate there. And then, you know, my um, oldest son, when he started high school here <clears throat> last year, there was a person in a gang and he didn't even know what that was. Like it's just like yes. what's happening? And then yesterday my daughter, even though they're in online school, like she had to walk over to her middle school for like a little in person study group she's been doing for the last two days. So it's very new, you know, for nine months they've just been basically online it totally and then she walked up to the middle school and there were people doing drugs in front of her school and she was horrified. She almost had a panic attack. Like we're just not used to seeing those kinds of things. So yeah. my kids that's been our biggest culture shock is just You know learning about a place that's not safe like what we're used to in Singapore it's very challenging as a family
1: (laughs) that's true one of our biggest ones for us we they're really not in an environment and I'm so glad they haven't said anything about people doing drugs or whatever but all the different genders yeah. Um, it's something very new. We had not talked about that. We had talked about so many things. Right. But we had not talked about that. And so we were like, they would come home and, like, oh, I just met someone today that said that or whatever. We would actually look it up. We would Google it um, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to have a better understanding of what that meant because right. we were just. You know, just a bit ignorant. Yeah, Uh, We really have not experienced that. Um, So now we're good, but we have to educate ourselves. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. The reality of life and the reality of the people that they were going to be meeting in college.
0: Oh my goodness. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, that we were really sheltered from that in Singapore because, you know, gay marriage isn't even legalized and it's very Victorian in a lot of ways there about those kind of conversations. So, yeah, I don't think my kids knew a whole lot either. So, <laughs> but we're in the Bay Area, so it was a fast learning curve and we have yeah, we have a lot of people that we love and care for that express themselves very differently and it's just, you know, we can love people even if we don't even understand everything. That's kind of the whole gig, right? Is we don't have to agree or even understand someone's situation to be a loving friend and neighbor so that's that's um been a good opportunity for my kids as well well i want to hey, move on wait, from wait,
1: wait. sorry let me just say that i completely agree with you yeah. and we are all about love yeah so um we are believers we're christians we're strong in our faith but we absolutely believe that our job here is to love yeah to love one another and god will take care of everything else so yep. that's our stand as well
0: yes well that's a good one it doesn't solve everything, but it solves a lot. <laughs> I mean they do say love covers a multitude of sins, so hopefully Indeed, hopefully yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> well, um, yeah, so I, I'm really interested on this aspect of it because you um, you know, originally from Colombia, and you came to the U.S., and then you were an expat also, and now you've repatriated. So you've had several experiences when it comes to just the immigration idea, you know. Um, you've immigrated to Singapore, now you're back here, originally from Colombia. So as you're back in the U.S. right now, and you've been observing some of the things going on with immigrants in the U.S., how do you process that based on your own experience? Oh,
1: that is such a big topic. It and is. there are so many feelings there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's, um, very sad what has happened in the last four years. As far as immigration is concerned, I think that we have been, um, um, uh, there is like a them and us situation and mentality that was, is much stronger than it was in the past. Mm-hmm. There's a lack of understanding and there's a lack of communication, wanting to under, really understand what's going on and the right solution for things rather than to mandate something that um, is not fair, that's uh, not provide equity for people um, and that is not understanding of uh, individual cases. So, but it's, it's,
0: a big, it's a big thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's so heavy, it's so complex. Um, and I, yeah, I, one of the parts of, you know, just for me personally, I, I will never understand what it's like to be an asylum see- seeker, at least I hope not, I hope I'm never in a situation where I have to experience that. But, um, you know, for those who are in that category Um, My heart just breaks, right, even for what has gone on now that we've pretty much shut down asylum cases in the U.S. in the last few years. And I just know how hard it was to come to the U.S., a, a place where I have a passport and I'm a citizen, even though I haven't lived here very much, but even to come back and... Um, you know, have skin color like I do, and have white privilege, and all those things, but just the culture shock that I personally went through, when you come back, come to a place where you don't have a lot of connections, where nobody knows your history, and who your family is, and you know, none of that, it can be so overwhelming, and then to treat people the way that we do, when they're so, you know, traumatized, it's, it really breaks my heart, and there's Yeah, I'm really excited that hopefully we're going to see some changes soon, which leads me to my next question, because I know that you spent some time during this election season working for some of the changes that you were hoping to see. So I'd love for you to give us a glimpse into what that was all about and what your involvement was.
1: Absolutely. So being away for 13 years helps you, and obviously Colombia to begin with you know you when you when you do live in different countries you have a a broader vision of what's going on maybe you know um, you understand things a little bit more you understand maybe economics a little bit better and and the way the entire world works rather than just one country Mm -hmm. so after being in in Singapore for 13 years and just looking at the US there were a couple of things that well, a couple of things that bother me the most, <laughs> <laughs> and one of them is um, the right to vote. Um, I really don't agree with gerrymandering. I didn't like what was going on, yeah. Um, and knowing that this was a crucial year um, mm-hmm. to to vote for people who would uh, make sure that that doesn't happen any longer was very very important to me and the second thing I am um, super pro-female pro-woman yeah and I really wanted to work to see what we could do to um, have more women be voted into and whoever you know they were running for whatever they were running for uh, I just wanted to support women candidates yeah. so those were the two things that well I was in Singapore I, you know I was thinking once I go back to the U.S. I would really like to work with something regarding these two things yeah um, and so when I came back to the U.S. that's basically what I did I started looking at gerrymandering and what I could do to do that right and mm-hmm. so I contacted the redistricting commission meetings you know you know associations here in in Arizona and found out that actually the um redistricting commission in Arizona did a really good job 10 years ago and we have one of the best maps in the nation wow so I was really happy and proud about that um and there's a lot you can do for other places who just, just look at their their maps and it's just it's almost like a joke right when yeah see those, those snakes and all of those uh, the way that they, they set up their districts um, as to, to gerrymander the votes the but there's nothing I could do because you have to live in that in those in those you know in those uh, states and be there for like three years before you can actually be part of the redistricting commission oh, in those wow. areas so I was like, okay, well, at uh, least Arizona is doing really well. Yeah. Um, but what I did, I, I did contact uh, some of my friends to to ask them to look at their interesting uh, commissions in their areas to see oh. what they could do with that, because that's very important. Um, then I went to my number two thing, right, which is inequity for, for women in the office. So I started looking at how to support these women, and I started working with the Electing Women Alliance, the EWA, And they just support women candidates. It doesn't matter if you're a Democratic, Republican, uh, is pro-woman. And so I started working with them. And I was just basically just sending texts and writing some content and copy for different things here and there. Um, And then from there, um, I went to the Arizona Mission uh, Commission here and uh, started volunteering to... um, to work, to do basically the same thing, it was emails, it was sending text messages, it was writing some copy for the Arizona mission here. Um, So I did that uh, for, and you know, active, at the beginning of the year but more so in the last couple of months before the the election you know i was sending you know texts you can call for batches, and you just send people texts uh is give you like 500 names and you send out those texts and then for 40, you know, eight hours you discuss you have comments with those people uh and you can ask additional batches regarding of your time you know depending on your time and i was just doing that and, and making some phone calls and sending a lot of, of uh of text uh, which was, you know, it was, you know, at least I was doing something. I felt like I was doing something, although it's very small. Uh, it's like, you know, you're upon a, a chessboard, but I felt like I was doing something and I was actively pursuing, um, you know, one of my goals, so.
0: Yeah, well, I, you know, it clearly worked because Arizona came out a hero in this whole thing, and nobody knew that Arizona could flip like that, and, you know, we were all watching the map in these different colors and expecting one color to show up, and then a different one did, and So obviously there was a lot, I think we all recognize there had been a lot of work on the ground in Arizona during the season because nothing flips easily like that. And- um, We were
1: very excited, but I will tell you though, that I, from all the texts that I sent, um, about 60% of the people were Democrats or were willing to have a conversation about Biden. Um, And only I would say um, a small percentage, like maybe 10% were like rude to me or said you know whatever in like you know not as nice conversations uh-huh. another 10% is like you know I'm a republican I believe in this and this and that and they would be willing to have a conversation with me but they were super you know kind about it i would say really only 10% of the people i spoke to were rude everybody else was willing to have a conversation at the very end people were tired of getting texts <laughs> so like fatigue text yeah.
0: fatigue
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> got you, but please take me off your list. It's like, okay, okay. And that was both Democrats and Republicans. it was like, please, I just, I can't. Yeah. Um, but it was it was surprising. I, when I first started, I assumed that it was going to be 80-20, you know, with 80% being Republican and 20% being Democrat. And that's just not the way it was with the names that I particularly, you know, personally handled.
0: Wow. That is surprising. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad to hear that it wasn't overwhelmingly you know nasty like some of the stuff we see you know particularly in social media or even on media channels about how it can be so harsh I'm really glad that you were able to have conversations with people because that's what it should be about right you know policies what matters to you how can we make this work and so I'm glad you had that experience
1: Yeah. And I think that when it comes to social media and news, I think obviously it's news, right? So they want to show the edge cases. They want to show most of the drama. But in reality, I think that a lot of people do um, believe in very similar things. And yes, they have some differences and maybe those differences are never going to come, you know, closer together but at the end of the day I think most people are very reasonable Democrats and Republicans but there are some Democrats are a little crazy and there are some Republicans are a little crazy (laughs) so you have to be aware of those two edges um, because that's just the way life is but I think as, as a whole most people are willing to have that conversation
0: yeah I think you're right um, and I think that we need to tell those stories more, right? Because it's the stories we tell ourselves that shape our culture. And the words we use really do matter. And, and I think um, it would be so lovely to hear more of what you're saying from other people. And hopefully we'll hear more of that in the future as we're trying to unify our nation again. But I know that this pro-woman thing is a really big deal to you. It's a big deal to me too. And, um, and so I just would love to hear your thoughts on having our first... Woman who is a vice president for the very first time in our nation's history.
1: Oh my gosh, I cried. I cried. I just cried. Um, I was so excited. I mean, first of all, when uh, Biden said that he was going to choose a female vice president, I was so excited, and I was looking. I was doing research. I was looking at all the possible candidates, and I was looking at all of them, and I was praying for all of them for the decision to be the right one, and etc. You know, when he, and um, you know, we are we're all people. We're yeah. not perfect. Yeah. Biden's not perfect. Kamala's not perfect. Mm-hmm. But he's such a great opportunity. It's just so beautiful to be able to see that. It's so beautiful to be able to experience that with my daughter, to say, hey, we're in the White House and no longer as a first lady, right? Yeah, right. Um, it is beautiful. And even Biden's wife, Dr. Biden, uh, is amazing. She, she's in education. I think she's going to bring so much to, to the party to, to the White House. Um, so I'm super excited with the level of girl power that we have in the White House. I couldn't be more excited. I was in tears, I was excited, but I was also, um, it, and it's just so hopeful. And I'm just so glad that she's a woman of color as well. Um, you know, it's just, it is beautiful because um, the level of hope that that brings the level of equity that it brings is is huge and I don't think that um it can be understood unless you're a woman of color maybe you understand it obviously but I mean it's just the level I that just means so much it's almost um I may not even have the right words to express how special and how important that is for for women
0: yeah no I I totally agree I it was an it was a huge thing just to get a woman vice president, and it was an additionally huge to, for her to be a black woman, an Indian American woman, and just like you said, our you know first lady for the first time in our nation's history is going to be working full time outside the White House, and that's a huge monumental shift um, of what it just means to have your own dreams as a woman. You know, can still be married and. Um, you know, fully a part of a family and still be a mom and still be a wife, but have your own dreams that aren't necessarily the same dreams as your husband and support each other. So we're seeing, you know, Kamala Harris show us that, and we're also seeing Dr. Jill Biden show us that. And I, I mean, you and I have lots of Indian women friends from our time in Singapore, yes. and they just bring such a rich culture. It, it's just, it's so exciting on multiple levels. Uh, it's a lot of firsts to celebrate, and my daughter and I at the same, like we've just, we were longing and waiting, but I would say my sons and my husband were too. It's They don't want to have to bear the weight of the world alone. They weren't meant to. Like women contribute a lot. They need us. We need them. And it's really exciting to see kind of more partnership happening at the high levels of our government.
1: Yeah, I adore that. And also the level of respect that that shows. Yep. You know the absolute level of respect you are your own person i'm gonna back you like you're gonna back me and we're equal in this that is beautiful as well i'm just so excited about that um it was kind of interesting because i was watching um before during the election um i was watching this abc show and actually posted it on social media as well i'll link to it but it was um an interview with eight women who were running women of color who were running or whatever in different places Um, and they were talking about the reality of running and the fact that they would be asked the questions that were asked were about their wardrobe or what are you going to do with your daughter one one of a beautiful republican lady that was running I can't remember for which state or what position but she said I have a four-year-old but I am married Nobody would ask my husband if he was running what he would do with his daughter, but they're asking me what I'm doing with my daughter. And that is, you know, he was talking about the respect to her and the respect to her husband. It's like, yeah, he can handle the four-year-old just like she could have handled the four-year-old. And they're a partnership, and he supports her fully, and the family will be fine, (laughs) you know? But there's just a different perspective if you're female and you're running. And I just thought that it it was a beautiful piece, and I posted it because I just thought it was fantastic, um, just to to look at how these women are, um, what they feel, what they've experienced, and not only that, but also how that unites them, and also they were talking about specific things um, that were important to them, so, and this other beautiful woman, um, Black woman, she's also a Republican, she was talking about the fact that even though she's a Republican, she believes in over-the-counter birth control and that's not something you know and it was like and I am super happy I would be so glad to go in and start working with people for with democrats on that you know so I am a woman I believe in this and just because I'm a republican doesn't mean that I don't have specific views on specific topics I do so that was beautiful as well um so that was excellent I, I love that because there's communication happening there's openness there's listening that is happening there rather than just, uh, just giving somebody some time and thinking about what you're, how are you going to rebuke that because you, you're not the same, but it's unity.
0: Yeah. It's so good. I saw that exact same episode and I was just marveling at like, wow, you know, it's, um, Beautiful to see so many women of color running. I know even the Republicans elected more women than they had in the past because they recognized yes. that they didn't have as many, and so they were trying to push in that direction. Um, and so they were talking about that on that ABC News special, and and I do I love that those nuances that are shocking and that don't fit the stereotype, right? Because that's yes. one of the problems right now is that people will find out you voted for a particular candidate, and then they automatically put you in this box in their head that you cannot get out of even if you aren't a part of it um, and it's just not un- it's unfair to people it's unfair to our policies and who we are because we're complicated human beings and I just think that women are going to naturally push those boundaries because you know we might lead like men in a lot of ways but you know we are socialized somewhat differently from you know the moment we're babies until we grow up or we're socialized in different ways and so we bring different types of leadership in which is often more relational, often not just saying we did it by ourselves, which I did appreciate that about, <clears throat> even though I don't really like it when they talk about women's clothing and it drives me nuts too. I get that I get that <laughs> in my job as well. But I will give everybody a pass on the fact that she wore her suffragette white, Kamala did, when she gave her yes. speech. Because we all knew what that meant. All the women of course, of course. knew that she's like, it's not just me. This is over a hundred years of history that I'm standing on the shoulders of people for. And I think we need people at the high levels of government that are saying those things not like i did this myself i'm awesome i'm amazing but just knowing we need each other we need diversity we need to talk more about equity we need to show it and and i think that you know when it comes to those questions like for women you know what about your kids you're a wife you're a mom i mean i've gotten those throughout my career it's not fair my husband never gets those <laughs> like it's just assumed he'll have dinner waiting for him when he gets home it'll be me doing all the housework and homeschooling or whatever has to happen um, but he never gets those those questions, um, and we do share a lot of our household work. So I mean, in some ways, it even affects him because people just assume that he's coming home to all these things done at home so he can work overtime all the time and like do more than a full- time job because surely his wife has taken care of everything. So it really affects both of us. Those stereotypes are not helpful for families, for couples, for individuals. and so hopefully women like um, Kamala Harris and Dr. Jill Biden are going to help us burst some of those stereotypes. Because it's only going to help our daughters and our sons in the future.
1: (laughs) I completely agree. As a woman of color in technology, you know, I would be in a room with, you know, 30 to 40 men. And I would be the only woman, much less of color, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And, you know, when we were traveling, I I had several jobs where I was traveling maybe 60% of the time. people make comments about my marriage like hey you're not taking care of your husband things like that right and I'm like well (laughs) you're here traveling with me are you not (laughs) taking care of your wife you know so it was definitely um, two sided Um, but yes absolutely I think that all these little steps all all this little bit of breaking of glass are so important and I think that we will continue to move forward Um, and hopefully hopefully one day there will be no more firsts because you will be a true representation of of what the U.S. is in office and in the business place.
0: Yes. Oh man, I totally agree with that. And, um, you know, I live in Silicon Valley and there's still really, you know, big conversations around women in tech and some, there's some systems that still need to change. And, um, You know, as a person who works in the church, I feel like they're light years ahead of us, even in the church. So when it comes to my faith and the systems I'm involved with just in the Christianity, in the world of Christianity, like I really hope that we can even learn from those fields of diversity and inclusion and why it matters. I mean, I think we should be leading the way as Christians in this area personally. That's my personal conviction uh, because we have scriptures that talk about, you know, there's no male or female and how God created Man, not to be alone, but he needed a woman. They needed to work together to build God's kingdom around the world, that it wasn't meant for men to do alone. It's not good for them. Um, and we, we both bear God's image as male and female. And so we're both capable of doing great work in the world together. So my hope is that what happens in the high levels of our government will affect tech, it'll affect business, it'll affect, you know, the church, it'll affect all all faith backgrounds and a way that our kids won't be having to fight the same battles. That's my hope and my prayer.
1: (laughs) I am absolutely with you. And I'm there for, you know, just not just us, obviously we want to continue to, to be part of society and and, uh, impact society in the the best ways possible, but for our daughters um, and not just for them, for our sons, you know, we want them to be generous and trusting and respectful with everyone around them, yeah. all all the women are going to be part of their lives, so that's super important for for them to to see this and uh, and rejoice with us as as these changes are happening. Um, so,
0: yeah, I agree. Well, when we're talking about the U.S. and some of the things you were hoping for as you were voting and as you were trying to, you know, help people, you know, register to vote and make sure they were voting as well, what are some of the changes? in some of the systems in the U.S. that mean a lot to you as you look at the U.S. in general and there are some systems that really seem stacked against people that aren't equitable what are some of those that you were you were hoping will change in this generation oh I
1: think that people saw this time around in this election that. Um, their vote does count we've been saying that for years your vote counts your vote matters but people hadn't registered to vote
0: Uh
1: (laughs) they they really hadn't registered to vote they're like no my vote is not going to count it doesn't really matter what I think Um, so somehow voter suppression is real and people don't want to hear that they don't want to hear that that's the truth, that, that's real, that people don't feel like they have their right to vote or should, should vote, or that they are set up for success in their voting. It's too many, it's too many hurdles for them to, to manage. But we see what happened in Georgia. And that gives me hope because I know that there's a lot of the same thing going on in Mississippi, in Alabama, etc. And so um, changing that is seeing that change seeing all those people who have registered to vote and voted um that was beautiful that was absolutely beautiful um and again that's one of the things that crucial to me right you have the right to vote and you have to use that right to vote and i think that happened to to a high degree this year with the most votes ever in an election that's beautiful um but we're not there yet right there's still a lot of people who didn't vote so we need to, there's a lot that needs to be done about that, and um, again, I, I sound like a, you know, a broken record, but uh, there needs to be more women in office, there just needs to be, and so I need to, to to continue working on that.
0: Yeah, for sure, I think one of the real heroes this time was Stacey Abrams, oh, my and goodness, I yes. know, I mean, I even had a friend in Australia, like, he didn't do anything else but just post her picture on social media, it's like, <laughs> you know, no, you don't even need words. Like, wow, you know, she really just worked so, so hard against all odds to make sure people voted. And then, like you said, we saw Georgia flip because more people really leaned that way. And um, yeah. we just needed to hear their voice. And I love it because I think one of the really exciting things about her, as well as Kamala Harris being a black woman is, you know, for the longest time, the black woman vote has been seen as the vote you wanted to get elected yourself. And this time, we got to vote for a black woman. So it's not just a person that you use to get your agenda passed that they vote for you. But it's really exciting that we get to vote for one for ourselves, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like not only, yeah that. But also, you know, there's all this perception of what people would vote and of course the reality is reality i mean people have studied how people vote who they're gonna vote for what somebody needs to look like etc but i think that stacy is just so real and she's like you know i am who i am i am single i'm not gonna get married to run i am this weight. i'm not gonna go on a diet and to to be you know whatever i'm not gonna do a different hair you know just so that i'm more likable i am who i am if people get to know me they'll understand who i am about and who i i believe and that should be enough for them to vote for me or not vote for me and she set out a plan that she's gonna vote you know for the president but i like the fact that she's just like i'm a woman you know men they do to an extent do like a uh, a bit of a shift of, of how they need to dress, et cetera, but maybe not to the level that women are expected to do. And I like that she was vocal with that. She said, this is who I am and I can still be president of the United States just like I am. Uh, and I think that that brings additional power to women to be who we are at every point, um, be who we are for, for us. And that, sh- that is absolutely enough.
0: Yeah, I love it. She is such a fierce strong leader and we we just appreciate authenticity when we see it in a leader. It just yes. we it's so contagious. And even that vulnerability, it's super attractive. I mean we no matter what we say about how we want someone to look or that we want them to be married and all that, I think at the end of the day we just want somebody to be real and like you said there are some gender stereotypes that make it harder for women but man as a woman i need i need women leading me and pushing me in that direction and i don't want to have to be the only one doing it and so we all feel you know just like we can breathe when we see someone doing that cuz we all just want to be ourselves nobody wants to have to fake it or pretend they're a certain way it just it doesn't last it's not sustainable and it's it's a lot of pressure in addition to the pressure of just being a woman leading right <laughs>
1: Absolutely, yeah. And then one more thing that I just kind of wanted to add. I think that this year was very obvious. Well, to me, it was very obvious. But a lot of things, you know, came up about systemic racism. Yeah. And I think that people don't quite know what to do with that. They. It's hard to to look internally and say, "Oh my gosh, I've been a racist," or "No, of course I've never been a racist." Or "I'm not a racist. I just do this and this and that." And to look at internally and look. Uh, the actions that you've taken, what your beliefs are, how you react to specific things um, is painful. Yes. And I think that that's a really good conversation and something that needs to, as a system, needs to change. But we are beginning to address it. Um, and, and I think that's good, but it's going to be messy for, for a while yet a lot of things need to change and it's one of these things that are like big monsters you don't even know how to attack it right it's like you have to you can't make a plan for it because it's just such a big problem that you can't come up with a solution you just have to start digging into it to try to figure out small solutions for small problems that you can reach and then continue deeper until until it's resolved but it is a truth it is a fact it is real and we need to address it um
0: Yes, I, I could not agree more. I, I'm super hopeful this year for the first time, even though it was really difficult to deal with some of the things that happened with George Floyd. And then, you know, subsequently, I think it did um, provide an opportunity in a new way in this generation to revisit some of the nitty-gritty, messy, uncomfortable conversations that need to be taking place. And um, And I think a lot of it, you know, even centers around voting. One of the things I've observed being back in the U.S. is you know, in churches in particular, like my black friends and black churches, they very often talk about voting and changing systems through voting because a lot is stacked against them. Whereas in kind of more white church spaces, it's kind of like, um, you know, there may be a particular issue, probably like abortion, for example, that would motivate people to vote. But, you know, there's, there's even a lot of people who just don't because not a whole lot would change for them personally. Um Whether one candidate or another candidate wins, but for, there are people um, within the United States, you know immigrants being you know one who are waiting on the border to you know have their asylum cases listened to, and they were I mean my mom and I were passing around videos on the election night. they were singing songs I grew up singing in Spanish in my church, oh. and they were praying and hoping because who got elected? really mattered. (laughs) It was going to change a lot for them because the system is completely stacked against their hope of the American dream. And, um, and so for, there's a lot of people in this nation that, you know, you could vote for one person or the other or not vote at all. And not a whole lot would change, but there are many people when it comes to, especially systemic racism for whom this is, this really matters. And it's, it's part of the reason it motivates me to vote even though for, certainly as a woman things could make a difference for me. but um, because of being a white woman or because of being white, there's not a lot you know, there's not a rule system stacked against me because hierarchically I would be you know sort of at the top just because of how I look and the privilege that that entails but I think with privilege comes responsibility and so when I vote, I don't just vote thinking about myself and my bank account and how that's going to be better, I mean I really could care less about that, <laughs> but we, I vote for all those who don't have a voice and who do need the systems to change and, and try to consider those policies as carefully as I can because there is a lot stacked against people and so I think even racism plays into how we vote a lot of times.
1: Absolutely right. And you're absolutely right. That's exactly how I, would, I voted as well. And I continue to vote. I think who's going to be impacted and how are they going to be impacted by this? Um, because it really does not matter to me. It does not affect me. Um, I am privileged as well. You know, graduation education, career woman in technology, PhD, it doesn't, things, I'll be okay. Yeah. but. A lot of people are not gonna be okay, and so you look at who's gonna be affected and who's being affected now, and how we can ease our lives, how we can make changes, how we can be impactful in society in a better way. And a lot of people think that there's nothing needs to be changed because they're not gonna be impacted, but the people who are suffering obviously need a change, and those who that those are the ones that we need to um, you know focus on,
0: yeah, for sure. Well, it's, it's a very controversial conversation in a lot of circles, definitely. <laughs> and so that brings me to my next question, which is, you know, um, there is a lot of, you know, disunity. I think we all saw that on the map. You know, there there are multiple ways to experience what it means to live in America right now. Um, and it, it feels really almost half and half in a lot of ways, divided red and blue. And, um, and even within Christianity, it's not... Um, it, it feels very divided in a lot of ways. So I, I was just wondering how you, um, how your faith impacts how you handle some of those really difficult conversations, maybe even around politics, where you maybe get misunderstood or people put you in a box. Um, how do you process that as a woman of faith? And um, what have you found helpful to navigate those conversations?
1: Okay, so... That's an excellent question. Um, I will say that um, most of my family and I don't agree in politics. Um, but I will also say that everybody in my family knows basically where I stand. Uh, but when I've had those conversations, is all with love. Just as we were talking about in, at the beginning of the of the podcast, it's, it's about love. You love one another. And so not only do I love... Um, My kids, my family, but I love my entire family and it doesn't matter how, um, what we believe in, but it's it's a conversation in love. So if you're having a conversation in love and discussion in love, it could be about something, you know, super, you know, that could just be super difficult, like um, abortion, right? Mm -hmm. We can have different views if we are having a discussion in love. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had these discussions, right? And we've had those conversations and, you know, it's like, we love everyone. and I love you and let's talk about this you know if we, you want to talk about this let's talk about it but uh, you know we don't want our relationship still going to be the same and we're going to leave this conversation with and I love you and I'll talk to you tomorrow uh type of situation so it has to be it has to be done like that it's got to be done with a language of love it can be there's no name calling it's just an exchange of ideas and it's got to be like that so for me, I'm always very open with, like I I love you, I adore you, and this conversation hopefully is not going to change um, your perception of, of that love that I have for you. So if you want to have that conversation, let's have that conversation. Normally, I'm not the one to start the conversation. I start the conversation about the fact that I have different views, um, and I just want to be aware that they know that I have different views, um, and then normally is my friends or family who bring up, but what about this? And so then I, I say, okay, fine, let's have the conversation because I would really love for you to understand why I believe this. And then we have that conversation, but it is in love um, and, and a lot of grace. And, you know, uh, we can't let ourselves be angry or be um, super emotional, when we're having a conversation because we're talking about facts, specifics, situations. Um, We're thinking about bigger thoughts.
0: That's so good. Um, I love it. And I I just even feel prayerful in my heart as I hear you say that just for all of our families across the nation. I mean, it's become almost famous now that Thanksgiving is a place you don't even wanna go because you disagree with your family. And it breaks my heart to think that America has come to that, right? Um, and so, yeah, even as you say that, I'm just thinking of all those families in a few weeks trying to sit down at the Thanksgiving dinner table and having to have superficial conversations because they can't disagree in love with each other. And so, yeah, it, it gives me um, a new hope that if we're, or we're feeling led in these directions, that maybe God is trying to do something different in our nation this time and um, and bring families back together to maybe not agree, but to above all else right love first corinthians 13 reminds us of that you can do all these amazing things you can speak in these amazing languages but if you don't have love for each other you have nothing right and certainly hopefully we can kind of center around that concept going forward
1: yeah no absolutely um and, and that's not to say that i have not lost friendships because of it because of a lack of understanding you know, things happen. Yep. but I think um, that there can be peace, and there can be um, love, and there can be unity, and there can be discourse that is healthy. Uh, that can absolutely happen, um, and then I think it's up to us to do it. Uh, I think that if you if you're based on love, then that's what you do. You love, and you make sure that the conversation goes in a way that is that is just that. Um, and then I do, obviously, as a Christian woman, I'm a woman of prayer. I mm. pray. I mm. pray all the time. And I, I read my Bible all the time. And I do Bible studies. And people who know me, they know that I'm involved with the church, always have been. Um, and so I think also because of who I am and um, my level of love for God, uh, they also give me maybe possibly a little bit more give me more grace because of that. And I'm more willing to have a conversation with me uh, because I do love God. Uh, and so people who know me know that as well. So they know that I do you not know, vote Republican. <laughs> 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 they, they know that I'm a Christian and that's good. Uh, so that's like, if nothing else, and I do pray actually for those conversations to open up yeah, and, so, and, and that I am able to, to speak to people in the right manner that they need to be spoken you know, how how they need to be, you know, spoken, and and examples that I can give to those specific people, and things do come to my mind that are completely different from one person to another, Uh, and that's God, that's the Holy Spirit right there, so.
0: That's so true, yeah, and I do, I know that side of you, because I, I know you're from church, and I know that you do love God, and you care deeply about justice and and just the church and i i mean i remember seeing your family do dramas at our church and you're involved with bbs my daughter loves your daughter because she helped her in bbs one year and and your (laughs) family yeah your family is all very involved and all of you love god and um and i just thank you for showing us an example of what it means to love god and maybe not fit the stereotype of what that looks like on a political level in some people's minds in the u.s you've given us a lot to think about today and you've shown us um, by your life and your leadership and the, the words that are clearly based on love that God has given you for others, um, what it looks like to care for people, not just in our words, but to, to fight on their behalf for systems to change um, from the government level all the way down. And so, um, yeah, I just appreciate all of your insights today. It's been extremely fun to contact you again and to, to hear how your life is going well. And I just wish you and your family all the very best.
1: Thank you, Lori,
0: so much. It's been lovely chatting with you. All right. Say hi to your family. Bye, Sandra.
1: Same to yours. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. You too. bye Oh, uh, Isn't she incredible? Don't you just... If you don't already know her, don't you wish you did? She's just so full of love and so smart and so just uh, cares deeply about people. Just, not just with her heart, but with her brain and with her actions. And she's just an incredible person to know. I really hope that you got something out of her uh just the way she talked about the differences with her own family and how we don't have to see eye to eye, but we really do need to love each other. It all should be based out of a place of love. And if we love, that's what we do. We just love, right? And it's you might wanna share your views on a very controversial subject with your family members or your, you know, close friends that you disagree with on these things. But it's like to get to know each other deeply and how we think and why we think that way. Is, is really important to do, but it, it feels so hard to do in the U.S. and I know in several circles around the world right now where there's a lot of nationalism and polarization going on and social media and just regular media that pits us against one another. But I just loved her reminder about how to have those conversations and just the way she talked about it even. I hope that that's one of your takeaways out of many takeaways from this interview is, you know, if we love, that's what we do. And we say, you know what? I, I want to know why you view maybe something really controversial. Like she said, like abortion, the way that you do, how do you get to the result you're hoping for? I'm hoping to get, you know, there in this particular way. These are the things I care about that are very emotional about that issue and to listen and to really kind of hear where our family members are coming from out of love. But at the end of the conversation, even if you're in very different places, it should be, you know what? I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Because this whole situation where we're cutting off relationships with family members, not speaking to them anymore because of issues in our politics or in our, our world that we disagree with, it's really heartbreaking. And as we're headed in toward this Thanksgiving season in the U.S., it's obviously weird. We're headed to a purple tier here in Santa Clara County in California again, which means a lot of things are shutting back down indoor and all that. But um, and I know my family's having to cancel Thanksgiving in New Mexico being together. We're all making sacrifices right now until it's safe to meet again. These are the things we're having to do. But in the meantime, whatever conversations you're having, whether it's over Zoom or over the phone or over text or over social media, let's try to really remember that it should come from a place of love. And if you find yourself not being there, um, just check yourself. It's, it's something I have to do. We all have to do. It's better to just say nothing, (laughs) right? uh, Instead of saying something that would break a friendship with someone over an issue that's, you know, about a government instead of who you are as people. And hopefully you can center around the things that matter together, even if you don't agree on how to get there. That's okay. That's okay. But we do need to say, I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. (laughs) Let's keep that in our heads as we head into this Thanksgiving season, however that looks for you. And I just pray blessings on all of us right now. It is tough. The U.S. is starting to shut back down in different ways because of COVID just getting rampant, even worse than before. In some places, Europe's having um, a similar situation and even parts of Asia are having trouble. And this great news about the vaccine coming out has given us real you know, hope that something could change at some point. But in the meantime, none of us are our best selves right now. Let's give each other a lot of grace and a lot of love. Um, and try to remember that in our conversations with each other, whether they're online or in person. Next week, stay tuned for a brand new series called a faith and work series. We're just going to talk to different people about what their work is, what they do, and how their own faith compels them in their workplace to work in a way that would be different if they didn't have any faith at all. And so we're going to talk to A couple people next week that are my friends here in the Silicon Valley that I met here in my church and um, one of them, Megan Havercorn, she works at Google and then Victoria Fischel is an oncology nurse at one of the hospitals here. Um, Both of these wonderful women are from Texas originally but moved here to California and are just making a real difference in their jobs and outside of their jobs and volunteering in the community through our church in different ways. So you're in for a treat. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be a really exciting interview as we kick off the Faith and Work series. So if you know anybody that would benefit from this conversation or if you want to listen to it with someone else to spur on conversations about maybe your career path or how things are going for you at work right now or how you can show up with as a person of faith at work, this is a really good series for you to tune into and I hope you'll get a lot out of it. All right, take care, everybody. Stay safe, stay healthy, and try to remember to just love yourself and love each other well during this time. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.